0: The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the Son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head. But I'm walking with the dead.
0: Today's case is one we covered back when we were still a baby podcast. And if we're being honest... The audio wasn't great, and neither was the editing. Thankfully, those days are far behind us now. We have much better equipment and a badass editor, which is why Paige and I have been slowly but surely retelling some of the cases from our original catalog. About a month ago, we decided we'd tell this particular case again to truly give the victim and her story the respect it deserves but a lot's changed in the month that I revisited my notes and started researching the case again. Brittany Drexel is no longer missing. The 17-year-old who disappeared during spring break in Myrtle Beach has been found after 13 long years. Her loved ones finally have answers about what happened to their daughter, their sister, their girlfriend. However, it's far from a happy ending and it's nowhere near being done because there's still justice to be served. This is the story of Brittany Drexel. It's April 2009 in Rochester, New York, and unbeknownst to her mom, 17-year-old Brittany Drexel has spent weeks planning to celebrate spring break in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There's a lot going on in Brittany's family life, and she wants to get away and let loose. Her parents divorced within the last year, and her dad, Chad Drexel, who adopted Brittany as a toddler when he married her mom, Dawn, no longer lives in the family home. Is your daily grind getting you down? A ThermoSpa's hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. The normally sunny teenager who's described by her younger sister, Marissa Drexel, as the quote-unquote life of the party with a hilarious habit of impersonating Lion King characters is having a tough time adjusting to her new normal. Chad's the only father she's ever known, and even though he's still very much a part of Brittany and her two younger siblings' lives, the family dynamic is just different. She slowly slips into a depressive state, no longer finding joy in the things that once brought her happiness, like makeup, clothes, and even soccer. Antidepressants are prescribed by her doctor, but... Nothing really seems to help. So when a group of popular senior girls ask Brittany to join them for a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach, she sees things in her life turning around. And from that moment on, she's determined to join them. This is a big deal, huge even. Not only did Brittany have the honor of being asked as the only junior to join the seniors for their annual trip, but Myrtle Beach was considered the spring break destination, despite being a 14 to 16 hour drive for Brittany and her classmates at Gates Chiley High School. For our listeners unfamiliar with the Myrtle Beach spring break scene, it's an absolutely insane party atmosphere with packed beaches, overflowing clubs, and all of the hotels along Ocean Boulevard completely booked months in advance. In fact, it's a feat in itself that the four girls were lucky enough to book a single room where they'd have to be squeezing two to a bed. That's how many people go to Myrtle Beach every year. With all of that in mind, it's no wonder Brittany kept her spring break plans a secret from her parents for as long as possible. She dreaded asking her mom for permission to go, but couldn't wait any longer. She was set to leave in a few hours. It was now or never. So on Wednesday, April 22nd, she works up the courage to ask and is immediately shut down with a resounding no. In the real life nightmare documentary, her mom, Dawn, explains why she wouldn't let her daughter go, saying one, she didn't know any of the other girls or their parents. Two, it was simply too far. Remember, they're in New York. Brittany would have to cross state lines to attend this spring break extravaganza. And three, call it mother's intuition or what have you. Dawn had a bad feeling about the trip. In that same documentary, Dawn reenacts the following conversation that took place. She says, quote, she kept asking me if she could go to Myrtle Beach. And of course I kept telling her no. And she said, Mom, can I please go to Myrtle Beach? And I said, No, Brittany. And she says, Why, mom? Nothing's gonna happen to me. And I said, something's gonna happen to you, unquote. Brittany doesn't take no as an answer, though. She's persistent and keeps. Asking despite always getting the same response from her mother. When that doesn't stop Brittany from asking, Don contacts her ex-husband, Brittany's dad Chad, wanting him to talk to her, help her with the situation. And like any good co-parent, Chad sides with Don, and Brittany is more angry than before. She can't understand why, why any of Don's reasons matter, and at 17, this feels like the end of the world for her. Don and Chad feel really bad. You know, it's not always easy being a parent, especially when you have to crush your kids' plans. And Brittany's a good kid, and they don't want her to be miserable at home during spring break. So Don and Chad agreed to Brittany's request to spend a few nights at a friend's house instead of spring break in Myrtle Beach. Don sticks to her guns, insisting on speaking with the friend's parents, and everything checks out. Brittany would be staying at the friend's house close by. She then heads out, still upset with her parents. Unfortunately, Brittany never went to that friend's house. Instead, she ended up sneaking away to Myrtle Beach with those three senior girls. They check in at the Bar Harbor Hotel on Ocean Boulevard and soon meet up with another group there, consisting of four guys, including someone named Peter, that they knew from high school. A few days later, on Friday, April 24th, Brittany, Peter, and their friends party at Club Kryptonite. There's even plenty of pictures of Britney and her friends at the club. Everyone seems to be having a really good time. The following day, Saturday, April 25th, Britney calls her mom back home in New York. And her parents still have no idea that she's actually in Myrtle Beach. Dawn remembers that last conversation, and nothing really tipped her off that something wasn't right. Dawn is quoted as saying, she said she was at the beach. I didn't think anything of it because it was 80 degrees in Rochester that day and they call the lake the beach here. I told her I loved her and she said, I love you too, mom. I'll see you tomorrow. And that was their last conversation ever. Later that same day, Brittany and Peter have plans to meet up. She leaves her room at the Bar Harbor Hotel at 8 p.m. and walks to his room at the Blue Water Resort on Ocean Boulevard farther down the strip, about a mile and a half away, and at least a 30-minute walk. Years later, Marissa, Brittany's sister, would comment that she was surprised her sister would make the trek on foot because, quote, she never liked to walk. Traffic cameras capture Brittany at 8.15 as she's on her way, and it's pixelated and small in the frame, but you can tell it's her. She's on her phone, possibly texting, or maybe even looking up directions on how to get there. CCTV footage captures Brittany arrive at the Blue Water Resort at 8.30 p.m. The sun's still out and she seems to be in good spirits. When she gets up to Peter's room, all the guys are watching baseball and they offer her some pizza. Allegedly, she ate some and didn't stay long. Supposedly, she had to leave to return clothing to one of the friends she was staying with. Peter offers her a ride back, but she declines. This piece of the case can be so heartbreaking in hindsight since
1: we know what happened to Brittany when she was on that innocent walk back to her hotel room.
0: Cameras capture her exit the hotel alone at 8.45 p.m. She's wearing her cream-colored bag over her shoulder, white sandals, a patterned shirt with dark shorts, and she's wearing her shoulder-length hair down. That's the last image we have of Britney Drexel because she's never seen on another camera after that. However, there is still someone in contact with Brittany after that footage is captured. And that person is John Greico, her boyfriend back home in Rochester, New York. She's texting him and letting him know that she was walking back to the Bar Harbor Motel. And according to her sister, Marissa, Brittany quote unquote wanted to marry John and was in love with John. She texted him every second of every single day. They were a pretty serious couple and were truly in love. But soon after leaving the Blue Water Resort, that texting stopped. And that was unusual to John because they were in an active conversation. But without warning, it just suddenly, abruptly ended. John's worry grew as the minutes ticked by. But when she hadn't responded in 15 minutes, he knew that something was wrong. Immediately, he started contacting all the people she was partying with in Myrtle Beach. And they too didn't know where she was. John then called Brittany's best friend, Tara, saying that nobody could find Brittany and nobody knew where she was. Tara didn't know what to do, but she tried getting in contact with Brittany as well. That didn't work either. John then made a phone call that would change the course of Don's life forever. He called her on the phone and Brittany's sister, Marissa, answered. According to Marissa, John was out of breath, asking her to please give Don the phone, saying that it was urgent. He's quoted as saying, Miss Drexel, Brittany's in Myrtle Beach and they can't find her. Don recalls this conversation saying, quote, I said, what do you mean they can't find her? He said he was texting her and all of a sudden, nothing, unquote. Don and Brittany's dad, Chad Drexel, both tried to call and text, but their messages remained unanswered. At a loss for what to do next, Don then called the Rochester police. And according to the Myrtle Beach Police Department's incident report from April 26th, Don then had a family friend stationed at a camp in North Carolina drive down to Myrtle Beach, and after touching base with Brittany's friends, that family friend called the cops around 5 a.m. Brittany was then entered into the National Crime Information Center as a missing person at 6.30 a.m. Meanwhile, Peter, who some would say is the last person to see Brittany alive, and his friends leave town like thieves in the night. They check out suddenly at 2 a.m., which is about four to five hours after Brittany's disappearance, and they start the 16-hour drive back to Rochester, New York. They left behind clothing, bathing suits on the room's patio in the hotel room. And this struck investigators as unusual because the group had planned to leave between 5 and 6 a.m., but instead they left way earlier. And despite how any of this may have looked, there was and has never been any indication that they were involved directly or indirectly in Brittany's case. Once investigators were able to clear Peter and the group, they then set their sights in the hotel Brittany had been staying at. And there they found everything she had brought. We're talking makeup, clothes, shoes. Everything was still there. The only thing on her when she disappeared was her purse, her wallet, and her phone. Britney's mom, Dawn, also found this unusual. She didn't think her daughter would just take off without saying anything, and especially leaving behind her luggage. And even in those early days, she knew that something had happened to her daughter. She's quoted an abcnews.com as saying, quote, I think something has happened to her. I just have a funny feeling it's not like her to not call her family. Unquote. Two days after she disappeared, police obtained her cell phone records. And they start scouring the cell data, the towers that she passed by, that her phone pinged off of. And right away, they're able to tell that she was on foot because she's moving at a slow pace, heading north on her way to her hotel. But after that, something unusual happens. The speed of her cell phone data shows that she's moving quickly, so quickly that it appears that she's in a vehicle of some sort. And she now travels in the opposite direction, southbound on Highway 17 around 9.15 heading out of Myrtle Beach in the middle of nowhere. Just after 10 p.m., some sources say midnight, Brittany's cell phone pings a cell tower near an area known as the Yard, near the town of McClellanville. It's 46 miles from Myrtle Beach. This is when investigators come to terms with the seriousness of the situation. There's no reason for a young girl with just her cell phone and her purse to be in that area let alone an out-of-towner. It's woodsy. There are wild animals, a bridge, water. It's dark and desolate. There's alligators and snakes. Again, it bears repeating, there's no reason for Brittany to be out there. So how did Brittany's phone end up there? Did someone steal the phone and take it with them? Or did someone kidnap her? These are the questions that investigators begin to explore. In the days following her disappearance, Dawn and Chad go down to Myrtle Beach and begin passing out flyers and looking for themselves. Chad is quoted in People Magazine's 2016 issue about Brittany's case as saying, quote, I did everything I could to try and find her. I'm the only father she has ever known. We were very close, unquote. John Greico, her boyfriend, even went to Myrtle Beach taking a week off of school and work to search for his girlfriend. He later told news outlets, quote, My whole life in Rochester had Britney involved with it. It's kind of hard to be in Rochester without Britney, unquote. Feeling helpless and not knowing what else to do, Britney's family sets up a website, helpfindbritney.com, which allowed friends, family, community members, even good Samaritans to donate money to aid in the search. But they had to shut it down soon after because scammers began taking advantage of the story and collecting money saying it was for Britney when it was really for themselves. They knock on doors asking for donations, and kind-hearted people obliged. Despite investigators and Brittany's family's best efforts, the case went cold. Until two years later, when police identified a person of interest. Police reportedly searched the hotel room in Georgetown where a man named Raymond Moody was living. It was located near where Brittany's cell phone gave off its last ping or its last signal to the cell tower. Other than the location of his apartment or his motel room, there isn't much information about what led investigators to hone in on Raymond Moody. However, he is a convicted sex offender. And as we've learned over the years, looking into sex offenders is often a tactic used by law enforcement to generate new leads. But whatever it was worked because not long after Raymond Moody was listed as a person of interest in Brittany's case, a woman from California named Carrie Harding contacted local police. She shares with investigators that when she was just eight years old in 1983, she was a victim of Raymond Moody. She was walking to school near her house to play with a friend when Raymond Moody kidnapped her and sexually assaulted her. In her own words, she says, quote, He drove me several miles away, four or five miles away, to an underdeveloped housing tract, and he had me there for several hours until I was able to get away, unquote. It turns out that she only was able to get away after she lied and told Raymond Moody that she had to go to the bathroom, and from there, she ran and escaped. He was ultimately caught and convicted of sexually assaulting six other young girls in California. He was then sentenced to 40 years in prison, but he was paroled in 2004 after serving only 21 years. After he was released, he moved back to his hometown of Georgetown, South Carolina, which is where we later found out that he has some connection to Brittany Drexel's case. On top of that, Raymond Moody was also a person of interest in a 2005 missing persons case. However, he refused to cooperate in either that case or Britney's case. As a result, investigators weren't able to get much more information about his possible involvement in these cases, and their lead went cold. Five years later, in June 2016, the FBI held a press conference where they made an unprecedented public announcement. They believed Brittany had been held against her will before being murdered. The agent in charge, David Thomas, told the media the following, "Britney Brittany Drexel did leave the Myrtle Beach area. We believe she traveled to this area around the McClellanville and the North Charleston, South Georgetown area, and we believe she was killed after that. The area the agent is referencing is 60 miles southwest of Myrtle Beach. A $25,000 reward was then offered for information leading to the arrest of whomever was responsible. This time, Raymond Moody's name didn't come up. Another one did, though. Months after that press conference, a jailhouse informant serving 25 years for voluntary manslaughter tells authorities he witnessed Brittany Drexel's murder at the hands of another inmate named Sean Stevens, who was 16 years old at the time of Brittany's disappearance. He'd been arrested in August 2016 on an unrelated robbery charge, acting as the getaway driver in that crime. The informant claims he saw Sean sexually assault Brittany at what he described as a quote-unquote stash house, and when she tried to run away, she was quote-unquote pistol-whipped into unconsciousness. The informant continued the story, explaining he later heard two gunshots, which he believed to have been the result of Sean shooting and killing Brittany. He concluded his tale saying Brittany's body was wrapped up and dumped in an alligator pit. However, there was no traces of Britney despite several extensive searches. In fact, there was no hard evidence linking this individual to Britney at all. But before we get any further, there's something I need to let our listeners know. Sean Stevens is a pseudonym I created after the breaking news came out last week in regards to who actually killed Britney. Paige and I discussed this decision at length and felt it best to still include this series of events in today's episode. It wasn't Sean, whose real name has been dragged through the mud for six years in relation to this case. Law enforcement and media outlets alike circulated this individual's true identity and mugshots for years. And it just didn't feel right to include with the new knowledge of what actually happened to Brittany. In fact, we now have a chance at the Murder Diaries to be the first of many to talk about Britney without bringing up the wrongfully accused true name. Now, back to what happened with Sean and the detectives. Immediately upon being arrested for that other crime, he was interrogated about Britney's case. They administered a polygraph test in which he claimed to have never seen her, but he failed. When that happened, he grew upset and they ended the examination. But law enforcement wasn't ready to give up on Sean as their suspect. Fortunately, they were never able to charge him due to lack of evidence. And he maintained his innocence for the last six years. In fact, his mom even maintained his innocence for the last six years. And things stayed like that in Brittany's case for the next six years until May 4th, 2022, just a couple weeks ago when officials held a press conference where they let the world know that remains had been found. They believed the remains to be Britney's, but it wouldn't be for another few days that they would be identified. Three days later on May 7th, they were identified through dental records and DNA testing. And if you're wondering how any of this came about, it turns out that that man, Raymond Moody, that we had discussed back in 2011-2012, in relation to Britney's case, came forward. He went to his attorney and confessed to his crimes. The attorney then went to the police and he led them to the spot that Britney's body was buried. Upon leading investigators to Britney's body, which were found in a gated private drive on the outskirts of Georgetown, South Carolina, which is about 33 miles from where she was last seen, Raymond Moody was then charged with obstruction of justice for concealing and or disposing of evidence of his crime. He was then charged with murder, kidnapping, and first-degree criminal sexual conduct, which makes him eligible for the death sentence in South Carolina. At a press conference discussing the new evidence in Brittany's case, Brittany's parents thanked law enforcement for never giving up on their daughter. Don is quoted as saying, This is truly a mother's worst nightmare. I am mourning my beautiful daughter today, as I have been for 13 years. But today it's bittersweet. We are much closer to the closure and to the peace that we have been desperately hoping for. I am slowly processing everything that has come to light. I have not hidden from commenting or discussing Brittany's case publicly. Today marks the beginning of a new chapter. The search for Brittany is now a pursuit of Brittany's justice. Before we end today's episode, I want to bring us back to Brittany and who she was as a person. There's a beautiful quote from one of her lifelong friends named Jessica, who still speaks to Don and Chad on a weekly basis and is very close to the entire family. She told local media, quote, I want her to be remembered as someone who was courageous. You know, nobody will probably ever know what she went through, but I know that she fought for life because I know how strong she was. I want her to be remembered as just spunky. She loved life. And like I said earlier, she was just the light of the room every time she walked in it. And that's where we'll
1: leave this episode for this week. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at The Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram and TikTok at the Murder Pod at gmail.com and themurderdiariespodcast.com. Go get your merch. And if you haven't already,
0: go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us keep the good content flowing.
1: Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe.
0: Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.